Welcome to No Relation College Football, P5 versus G5. I'm your co-host Steve Payson, and oh man, do we have a show for you today. Um, I have to apologize, we did miss an episode, and that is just because of technical difficulties and life getting in the way. Uh, we don't make any money off of this, so what does make money has to take precedence. And also, we had a little technical difficulty. But in today's show, we've got a whole bunch, and it's involving both of our schools, Boise State and Auburn. And as you, if you've been watching the news, you pretty well much know about it. Also, um, we'll touch a little bit on what our planned subject was going to be, and that's on how the college football playoff is working slash not working and might be hurting college football at this point. So Trey, how's your week been? Well, to all the listeners that are sticking with us and joining back with us, uh, we did have a bit of a glitch last week and unfortunately tis the season to be busy. So, you know, I found time to get it in real quick this week and just want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it's really a bit, it's really a busy season. It's busy right now. All the bowl schedules are out and the hiring and firings are happening in mass right now. And there's just so many things to touch on, but you're absolutely right. So last night it, it's now Wednesday, uh, December 23rd and last night it was the news dropped that Auburn had found their new head coach after firing Gus Malzahn the week before and interviewing the usual suspects from Clemson and Alabama and the hot shots, uh, hot names on the, on the coaching circuits like Hugh Freeze and Billy Napier. Auburn goes a bit more west than I was originally anticipating <laughs> And hired Brian Harson from the Boise State Blue Turf Broncos. So I know what I'm feeling about it, but Steve, I wanted to get your opinion because you know Brian Harson more in depth than I would, or generally any of the Auburn fans would. So tell us a little about what we're getting. You're getting a very um, a very focused individual. Um, he's, I'm, I'm trying to come up with it. Uh, best word, best I can come up with is he's, he's very focused. He's a, um, very meticulous individual. He's, I'm not positive on his recruiting, but he is a great closer. As far as recruiting goes, um, he is the closer and he, he gets them. He brings them in. Um, I believe he is the quarterback recruiter since he's a quarterback himself and a, a former offensive coordinator and he's an offensive guy and he's brought in some really good quarterbacks. He, he brought in Brett Rippon. He's brought in Hank Bachmeyer. He's gotten Jack Sears um, to come over from USC. Um, Jalen Henderson. Um, I can't remember where he came, came out of a Juco but where he was at before the Juco, I can't remember. And he's, he's brought in some very good quarterbacks for us and he's brought in some very good talent. Um, I just believe he's, he, he might not be the initial, the initial recruiter type individual. I do think he's a great closer when it comes to recruiting though. Um, as far as a play caller, if he, if he decides to call the plays, he's gotten he's gotten a little predictable in the last few years that he was actually calling the plays and that's why he i think that's why he turned it over to his ocs but if his oc isn't getting any results he will in the middle of the game he'll he'll pull up and he'll he'll start calling plays um what he believes and in that in that time in that frame of mind in that frame, he, he does quite well when he takes over play calling in the middle of the game, he, he does quite well. Um, so there has been rumblings inside the, inside the staff that 
and then this is coming directly from and i'm going to paraphrase i don't have the exact exact quote in front of me um from the mizzou coach um dink drink drinkwitz drinkwitz um he said if you have hars is a great guy and harson's nickname is hars hars is a great guy but if brian shows up he's a dick um and that's how we know how what type of day it's going to be and so there was some strife inside the staff on you maybe maybe harson's duality um going on and it's the 2014 year when i was a student athletic trainer at boise state and i was working in football at the time uh, mike sanford was our uh, oc at the time and he unceremoniously left at the end of that year and he went to notre dame to become their oc and again notre dame but i'm thinking that you know mike was like i gotta get out of here so you know it's like i said he's a very focused individual very intense individual he is a good interview um like i told you trey uh, through text um he won't pull a kiffin <laughs> if he's if he's in front of a microphone um he, he's going to say the right thing he's going to do the right thing he won't embarrass the school at all and that's one thing he will put his entire all of his energy towards supporting that school um but we'll see how it goes and what type of staff he can put together there in auburn big, big shout out to the old miss fans um well i tell you it's a little <laughs> it's a it's a little disheartening to hear that he can get a little stagnant with his play calling because that's kind of what we're getting what we were trying to get rid of and i've been and i've been reading uh stories and and articles and that sort of thing about how they're com a lot of people are comparing brian harson to gus malzahn light and i'm and it, and it doesn't sound like that now gus malzahn can be a bit fiery but at least not from the outside looking in being the outside of the program because Obviously, I'm not in Auburn. I'm not around the facilities every day. I don't see the interactions of Gus Malzahn day in and day out. So from, from my perspective, I can see Gus as a pretty nice guy, pretty approachable. But I have heard that about Brian Harson is that, yes, he can be a bit abrasive, to put it lightly. So... I'm actually kind of intrigued about it. I mean, I don't mind a little grit. I don't mind a little a little saltiness. It seems to be one of those things that the the really great coaches that tend to be great CEO types, that's what they strive to. And that's kind of a trait that I see, you know, kind of blends in that. Now, whether he's a CEO Nick Saban type in the making, TBD. Or if he's just a jerk, also TBD. <laughs> but I do agree with you. I, I am interested to see what kind of assistance he puts on the field if he if he actually has some holdovers. Um, I'd like to. I honestly would like to see defensive line coach Ron Garner stick around. I'd like to see Kevin Steele stick around, but after they didn't hire him as the head coach, I seriously doubt it. But yeah, yeah, I don't see that happening either. Um, he's, new new pages for Auburn turning right around, and that actually flips the flip side of that coin. Is who's Boise State going to get now? Well, I, I want to. Um, as it, as it is looks right now um my number one my my number one on the wish list is uh, Andy Avalos the DC at uh, Oregon who used to be Boise State's DC and also as a Boise State alum uh, played middle linebacker for us um extremely extremely energetic great recruiter um he was the closer he was the <laughs> let me he was closer 1B 
for Boise State, ah. at least on the defensive side. Um, and he's energetic. Just he's the perfect choice. He's he's got the Boise State blue blood, and you know I can't I can't say enough about him. But um, second choice, I will, I'd go after Graham Grimes. I'd go after Grimes at uh, BYU after the butt whooping they put on UCF last night. Um, but I'd like to go back. Uh, I'm sure that was a little holdover from, from the coastal game. Yeah, <laughs> a little frustration. Um, I'd like to go back and ask you on yeah, the firing on the firing of Gus Malzahn with a twenty million plus buyout still sitting on the table uh how's <laughs> how's that make you feel i'm a little disappointed at uh the president uh grogue and i'm a little bit disappointed at green because they didn't learn their lesson when they fired gene chizik they did the same thing and it ended up costing it did it ended up costing him about the same, and Chizik sit uh, Chizik sit on his hands for about three years. Did a little broadcast, had a house, had a gorgeous house there in Auburn, and uh, eventually went on to become DC up at uh, North Carolina. I don't, I don't know why they would do that. Now, when they extended Malzahn, okay, I posed the question: Is it too much? Mm-hmm. And I under, but I understand where they were coming from. He showed he showed a little bit of spark. He showed a little bit of promise, and I think they overreacted and they think they jumped the gun. And it it came back to bite him in the ass. I mean, point point blank. It's it's gonna it's gonna cost him upwards of twenty five million dollars to get rid of him. And Malzahn, he will probably take a year off just to kind of take a step back and take a breath i'd imagine but don't i don't think that he's done coaching i oh, think no. that he will end up being i think he'll end up being an offensive coordinator again uh until he until he gets another shot at a head coaching job yeah we talked about that off mic a couple weeks ago about the uh about him being extended and uh yeah i felt the same thing uh, I, was, I was looking at Auburn and, and what their their production was. I think everybody's just trying to catch Saban. Everybody in the SEC well, is just trying to catch Saban. I mean, it's it's a it's a keeping up with the Joneses situation um, as far as the SEC goes. I mean, but I think what actually did him in was calling was in an interview he said a six and four season was acceptable or something along those lines where he was just like he was just like yeah it happens and i'm like oh so not a good idea (laughs) so not a good idea and i i honestly think malzahn underperformed most of his as a whole, as as his tenure as an Auburn coach, he underperformed both as a head coach and as a recruiter. Now, not to say that he wasn't a great face and a great figure for the university. And like you said with Harson, he did not do anything to bring shame to the program. He did, you know, he was a he was a great guy with the media. He answered all the stuff. The only thing that was catching him was he'd have a he'd have a great season and then two or three down seasons and that's not going to cut it because you've got you've got Alabama and Georgia and now Florida they're all they're all poking their head up and they're all getting well Texas A&M too actually they're all you know bidding to get into that playoff spot and it's it's almost penciled in that SEC champs going to get in barring being two losses in just an abysmal season, they're going to get in. So the problem was that Malzahn wasn't keeping the status quo up. He was too high and he was too low. He wasn't keeping recruits there on campus. And that was effect- and that's affecting 
you know, the team as a whole because you're having to go out and get new guys, get them acclimated to the system. And because, and I feel because of that, it led to too much inconsistency with wins and losses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because I mean, it's, it's a, it's a chain effect. You don't keep, you don't keep the horses in the stable. You're not going to have anybody to pull the wagon. The wagon doesn't go anywhere. You don't get paid. And that's exactly what happened. That's, yep. I like I like yep. I, I like that analogy. That was good. <laughs> yeah, um, going back though, I, I I'm really going to be interested in watching Harson um, the next couple of years, just because I want to know if it's the Boise State culture or if it's the actual coach. And I'm, what I'm going off on that is looking at all the coaches that moved on. Now I'm going to start with Houston nut, but Houston nuts, not really a good, a good measuring stick because he was here only one year. He went, I believe five and six. And one of those was a uh, forfeit by uh, Northridge state. Hey, and, hey, 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 take the W where you can get it. Yeah. And <laughs> he went on uh, and everybody knows he went on to coach his alma mater at uh, Arkansas and uh-huh. That didn't work out so well. Dirk Cutter takes over for him, um, does real well, gets us to two uh, humanitarian bowls at the time. Now the famous Idaho potato bowl. Famous potato bowl. Uh, anyways, <laughs> thank you, ESPN. Anyways, um, I thought humanitarian bowl was a great name, but I digress. Hey. Hey, got to get that potato money. Yes, I know. And it's big money. It's big money out here. Um, so Dirk Cutter, after the 2000 season, he gets hired away by Arizona State. Uh-huh. Arizona State doesn't do so well. Um, by the way, Dirk Cutter's back in Atlanta as an OC, and he's doing quite well with for them. Dan Hawkins takes over for Cutter. He does quite well for us also. And right before we move into the whack, well, excuse me, yeah. uh, I'm losing my, I'm losing my years here. I don't know if he left before we went into the whack or after I think anyways, um, he moves on to Colorado and proceeds to stink the place up. Oh Yeah. And now he's out at Cal Davis and doing quite a, quite a great job out at Cal Davis. Then after Hawk leaves, we all know Chris Peterson. Oh, coach Pete. Yep. He does. He he got us to the precipice of a national championship. And, um, he, I think he got, I I was there for his second to last year here and he was not happy. Um, I was also a student athletic trainer at Boise state during that year, the 2012 season. And, uh, he, he just was on edge every day. And I, then he goes into the 2013 season, changes the offense. He moves from Pete's poison to, um, the new, I'm going to call it the spread option or the, the uh, RPO type yep. offense. And he goes, I think it was, I want to say nine and four or eight and four or eight and five or something along that lines. Um, still, really still, bad. <laughs> yeah. Still, still hard to, you know, find a lot of bad area with that, but let me, let me, let me hit, hit you with a pause real quick. Now with Pearson there, I got the impression that the the Boise State fan base really they really liked Peterson. They really liked Coach Hawk, but they really liked Peterson. Yep. Now, and you say he you know you say he was he was stressed out and you know amped up and he just wasn't happy. Now is that because of his own doing or is that because of external pressure? I. I don't think it was external pressure. I'm that, that last year, that 2013, there were some fans grumbling because it didn't look like Boise state football. 
And I, I don't think that had any inkling about him moving on. He might've just gotten stagnant. Um, and he might've just, he might've been just frustrated over that 2010 season. Um, and it, it just came to a head in 2013, but I don't think it was external pressure. Um, from what I remember, it was just, yeah, that, that last year there were some grumblings and why did he change the offense so forth and so on. But I don't think that had anything to do with him leaving. I think it had everything to do with Washington coming down and being the perfect situation for him at the time. Okay. So, you know, we all know how coach Pete did. He was successful. He moved on and, um, almost got Washington to a national championship. I mean, he had, he had a bind there for a bit. I yep. mean, he brought, in, he brought in a lot of talent up there. Yep. And he brought in, um, Oh, our main receiver here during in that 2010, 2000, you know, 2009, 2010, Pettis. He brought yeah, Pettis's Pettis. cousin into Washington, and he did outstanding also. That boy can run. <laughs> yes, both of them can. Um, yeah. I think the elder Pettis is still trying to make it. I don't know if he's on an active roster right now, but I still think he's trying to go. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how Harson does, especially in the sec. I mean, Houston nut went into the sec, but I like, again, I can't really count Houston nut as being a Boise state guy. He was here only one year and it was just for that. I think Arkansas said, Hey, we can't hire you straight out of Murray state, find another job. And he found a job with us and. The next year, he hops on a Learjet in the middle of the night, and he's Arkansas's head coach. Well, I, I like I said, I'm interested to see how he does being the head coach of a big time program. Not saying that Boise State's not big time, but I was talking with somebody the other day, and uh, we were talking about. Uh, football income and athletic budgets and that sort of thing. And I'm like, it's a bit bigger than it offers at Boise State. So, and, and, and the other thing is he's, he's an Idaho guy. He's, he's a Boise State guy. That's where he's been. That's where he made his bones. So I, I am in agreement with you. I'd, I'd really like to see, how and if it transfers. Yeah. It just, it, it's also just on the cultural side of things. I mean, his wife and his kids are going to go from, I mean, you've been out here and you've obviously you've been in Alabama. It is night and day, dark side, light side difference. Um, as far as the culture goes. And I want to see how his family adjusts. And how that might affect his, uh, how my, how that might affect his um, activity and, and how he handles things. See how that goes. Well, on that aspect, I, th- I think Auburn has always been real inviting to, uh, to the ball coaches and that sort of thing, especially their family. Um, and you said Har- Harson's got some little ones, doesn't he? Yes, he's got uh, two boys and a girl, I believe. And they're they're not high they're not high school age. They're his oldest. His eldest might be close to high school. I remember in fourteen. Yeah, his eldest would definitely be in high school. In fourteen, his his eldest was would run around practice or after practice, I would say, and and give the players crap and. Oh. So yeah, they they definitely would be approaching that high school age. I think they're going to like Auburn, um, just for the simple fact that it's it's a small southern town that is built around the university. It is, um, you know, Boise. If Boise State left downtown Boise, it'd be different, but it'd still be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
but Auburn Auburn University is Auburn Alabama. That's it. On yep. on game day, it grows into the fifth largest city in the state. <laughs> so it it'll it'll be real interesting to see and and see how he adjusts to the change because. Boise State's got some very loyal fans, <laughs> but Auburn's fan base is a lot bigger. Yeah, and that, that that's, and yeah, keep going. Every, everything, it's just a different shade of blue, and it's amped up a bit more. So I'll be real interested to see how he handles it. Yeah, it's just, it's the age of Boise State. I mean, we've only been a four-year school since 1968 and Auburn, what, 1800s, (laughs) something like that. 1865. Yeah. And Boise state's only been a school since 1932. So uh, the alumni base is much broader down there in in Auburn. Um, Let's see. What else? What else can we touch on about this? Well, we the uh, where's Boise State going in uh, going to the bowl season? Where are they, where are they going to play? <laughs> They're not. They They're not? The, the the players decided to opt out, and really, way, yeah, and and the way the, the okay, let's backtrack. Let's go to the Mountain West Championship game, and a very un Boise State performance they just they came out and it was it was really odd uh bachmeyer was way off the running game was nil and if you remember i uh watched a san jose state earlier in the year uh uh-huh. for the broad for the podcast and i i said that they didn't look quote unquote all that special you know, their Cade Hall was what was the best player that I noticed, and he ended up getting defensive player of the year for the Mountain West. And I remember Starkle. I remember Starkle when he played for Texas A&M, and I thought he was a good quarterback then. Yep. And fast forward to San Jose State, that game that I watched, and I can't remember who the opponent was, but that game that I watched, he was – good but they switched off between him and a running quarterback it was basically a 50 50 between those two so i wasn't able to get a really good look at starkle well in the mountain west championship game it was almost 100 percent starkle and he yeah. was he was fantastic he um boise state was playing zone i hate zone i hate zone i hate zone i hate zone <laughs> all day long and those receivers knew exactly where to go in the zone, and boom, they were there, wide open, uncontested catches. I was just driving me mad watching this. And on the offensive side, Boise State did not look themselves. So that, that was very reminiscent of the bowl game that um, after – after coach Pete left, um, they went to Hawaii for the Hawaii bowl and, uh, was it East Carolina? I think that sounds, that sounds right. I think it was East Carolina and the first half, they just looked absolutely horrible and they did come back. They, they made it a game and this was the exact same way in the mountain West championship game. Um, Avery Williams, got another punt return for a touchdown his his ninth kick return for a touchdown in his career tying the tying the ncaa and there we go there there we go had a little echo there for a second (laughs) sorry about that folks but he tied the ncaa record again at for his ninth kick return if he doesn't get all american special teams there's a grave injustice right there anyways that sparked the team a little bit they came out 
the defense so showed some so showed some life but then again the offense came out and they just the best way I can it, they did not look like Boise State um they ended up losing by 14 and they came out i think it was 3 days later that the team took a vote and they decided to opt out of the bowl game and then it was just a couple of days just it's been just a couple of days and Harson decided uh, I'm leaving I don't know if there was any bad vibes because of because of that that the team decided to not play I don't know the situation in that I can see it happening but I got to fight the conspiracy theorist in me. I don't know. It, it sounds like a lot of uh, internal humbuggery there. And uh, <laughs> it just, it, I, I, I get it. Uh, when you've been through this season as a football player, you've probably had just about enough. And when you've got a coach that sounds like he can spew a little fire every now and then, it probably doesn't play too well with, the kids and these days and the, uh the public I, the, the public doesn't see what these guys have gone through this year no and this has been nowhere close to a normal to a normal year i mean um the power five conferences you know getting tested every day the mountain west was being tested three times a week oh. um the protocols that they had to go through and their teammates you know, falling victim to COVID, um, having to adjust because of that and coach <laughs> coaches falling victim to COVID and the players having to, um, having to adjust to that. It, it was just a wear and tear on them mentally. And then you put in the physical aspect of football and it's, I don't have any ill feelings, ill feelings for them. For can't for not going to the bowl game. Well, well, time to hit the reset button. <laughs> yeah, and and hopefully we have a spring. Hopefully we have a spring season. Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that the, the Joe Schmo public doesn't really actually get is how much spring practice affects the following year and you could see it this year without a spring practice without a fall camp it was just it was ugly football that first two weeks uh, yes it was yes it was so yeah I, I, i'm going to keep an eye on auburn now obviously and we'll go from there so fear, now, fear not fear not i will send you some auburn gear <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, we'll go to the subject we were going to talk about a week and a half ago, and I wanted to touch on it mainly because during the Mountain West um, football game, the championship game, uh, it was aired on Mothership Fox, and Tim Tim Brando did the, the call. Tim Brando has been very vocal about how this playoff has hurt college football. And he has been, I think, a, a big voice for the G5 and the plain fact that he's saying that um, the G5 has been you know, looked down upon. And I'm, this is the first year that I actually think there has been a um, – conspiracy to hold down the G five because look what happened to Cincinnati. They're sitting there at six at six at six and boom, the next week they're at 10. What happened? They just, you know, so what they didn't play. Um, so, you know, Tim Brando has been a huge voice for this on the, the, the tagline that ESPN uses who's in, has really hurt college football and I can see it. You know, I hated the BCS. 
I hated the BCS mainly because it was it was computers and nobody actually knew what those computer programs were. And I always liked the the AP coaches poll UPI when the UPI was around aspect of it because it was eyes on. You had individuals who knew football, watching football, and then, you know, voting on their player, voting on the teams. And I thought, oh, great. College football playoff. We're going to have that 13-member committee. They're going to have eyes on. They're all football experts. And it is now just a, I think the way Tim Brando puts it as a, um, oh, a support system for the big money teams. And that's one aspect. The other aspect I want to get at is, well, next year you can pencil in Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state. So who's going to be the fourth team? That's another problem with this four team playoff. It is. Comma, but <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It's hard not to put these guys in there for the simple fact that they're the premier programs. They're mm-hmm. they are the, they are the Nebraska from the seventies. They are the Alabama from the seventies. They're the Miamis of the eighties. They're the Notre Dame from the nineties. They're the they're the Florida States from the nineties. They're the teams you want to see on the television. They are they are the household names that you've heard of coming from high school that are now performing on a bigger stage and they're bound to go on to a much bigger stage whenever they are given the opportunity. The problem is, as you said, there are teams that are deserving of a playoff shot. There are the teams that have that Cinderella season and go undefeated and are left out in the cold. And the unfortunate thing is that they bend the rules. And when I say they, it's not necessarily the NCAA, although they do too. (laughs) It's the it's the conferences that make their own rules and it's the conferences that are impacting the playoff scenario. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and flat out say it and you can write, write me a comment, write me your thoughts. Ohio state should not be playing in the playoffs. Flat out. Nope. I, I agree with you on that one for the plain fact that, in previous years, they've looked like the juggernaut everybody has said them to be, but then boom, they lose to Iowa. Well, boom, the- you know, they have those one that one game that inexplicably they stumble on, and they haven't had enough games this season to try and find that yet. Well, the Big Ten broke their own rule. Said. Yep. You've got to have six wins to qualify for for the playoff spot. Well, guess what? They didn't have six wins. They had five wins, and then took on Northwestern, who liked took them out anyway, and the, and took them on the Big Ten championship. They ducked Michigan. They completely ducked them. So, I mean, I, I have to back up, back you up on that one. I think Michigan canceled the game. I think it was Michigan. I think it was Michigan COVID problems on that one on that side. But carry on. Neither here nor there. I, I, I'm, I'm throwing up finger quotes around it. Okay. <laughs> they had, they had COVID. Okay. Anyway, so they get ducked out, and it's not the, it's not Ohio State's fault. Okay. They play the games they were told to play. It's the Big Ten's fault because they came out initially and said, "Nope, we're not going to have a season." And then sure as hell backed real off of it real quick. And now they were forcing eight weeks, eight straight games with no room for adjustment, no room for cancellation, no room for nothing. So that's why you got this season. So it's basically piss poor management by the uh, Big Ten commissioner. And 
if I were, if I were a Pac-10 guy, I'd be saying, "Hey, we don't need to follow them anymore because they they're they're Mutt and Jeff. They go around hand in hand." <laughs> so, my question is, if Ohio if if Ohio State doesn't get in, if if they're sitting at home right now as they ought to, who's who's next man up? Is it Texas A&M? Is it Florida? Is it Coastal Carolina? Is it Cincinnati? You know, and that's why I think this 14 playoff, yes, it's a good idea, comma, but you're still running into the same problems. And I feel like the expansion of the playoff system only is going to breed more and more problems. So, ergo, don't don't mess with it. I, I can see that one. Um, but the way I, the, the, what I've been always going by, um, if the playoff does get expanded, let's go to eight. And I hate to say this, but the all power five champions get in the group of five best ranked would get in. And then you'd have two at large. Yes. Then you have two at large to where you say this year, it would it would go, obviously Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Texas A and M. Well, wait, let's go back. Let's get the champions. Oregon would Oregon would be in there. Alabama would be in there. Um, Oklahoma would be in there. And Ohio State, and then who am I missing? Oh, Clemson. Those are your champions, which, and then the six team in would, the six automatic would be Cincinnati. Uh And then you'd have room for Texas A&M. And who was sixth? Was it? Oh, it was Oklahoma already. So who was seventh? You're going to leave out. You're going to leave out. Notre Dame. Yeah. You're going to leave out the darlings. From Conway, South Carolina, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. <laughs> no, sir. Outstanding, Absolute outstanding abs- season. I'm, at, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at it like I like the, I, I like the one versus two. Well, I'm not talking rank. I'm talking team one versus team two. Who do you think would win? Type of a type of scenario. So if I put the Chanticleers up against the Bearcats. I'm picking the Bearcats. Oh, I, th- I'm sorry, but I think they got enough juice. To- I think they have enough juice to take on Cincinnati. I think that they've got enough. They've got enough horses in the barn to take on an Oregon. And see here, here, here's what I love. Here's what I love. I've got one viewpoint. You've got another and be it right or be it wrong you need several of these viewpoints and arguments to be made and that's what i was hoping that that 13 member committee would do i would hope they'd get in there and they'd and, and they'd fight it out now I, we don't know what happened behind closed doors and we don't know how they thought and then each individual goes and votes and they tally them from there. That's another thing I'd like and I'm digressing all over the place, but I'd love to see those committee votes made public. Ooh, you know, and especially this time of year, you know, there's a bunch of analysts from NBC and a bunch of moderators from Fox news. They're not doing anything, but the 13, uh, put the 13 panel uh, college selection committee on there and have them be moderated <laughs> and telecast and telecast it on ESPN news or, you know, ESPN, ESPN, eight, the Ocho. <laughs> make, yeah. Make it 100% transparent. You know, they, when Absolutely. they put this together, when they put this together, said, we're going to be transparent. We're going to let everybody know. We're just going to keep these things secret. And, um, yeah, make it, make it a hundred percent, um, transparent that way 
you, you're still going to get the hardcores that come down. Oh, they still screwed up, but you're going to have the, some people that said they, oh, they screwed up. And, but now if it's hundred percent transparent, they're going to go, well, okay. I can see where they came from on that one. Yep. And there's, and, and like you say, there's going to be, there's going to be those homers that are just, oh, they, they're, they've got three losses, but they should still be in the playoffs. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And it's so tough. I mean, the NCAA or I don't think it was the NCAA that came down. I think it was all the uh, power five ADs would come down. Oh, if we go to eight, that's too many games for them to play. Well, time out. What about the FCS? They've got a 24 team playoff that they, that they participate in and they play at least three extra, the champion in that league and that in the FCS plays at least three extra games. Yeah. Why can't, you know, why can't the big boys, Oh, it'll interfere with their education. Again, really? the FCS really? does it. Yeah, yeah. We we can. <laughs> no, we'll we'll be the honest. We'll say yes. There is an education part of this. Uh, we won't go into the the ne'er that say, oh, they don't. They they take underwater basket weaving. But you, you do mean, have you those know, communication. I'm, you do have those communication majors. I, I looked for underwater basket weaving when I was undergrad. I couldn't find it. <laughs> nope. Um, but, you know, the FCS does it. Division two does it. Why can't the top division? The, division three and AI do it. Yep. You know, why, why can't the top? But, you know. It, it's, well, again, it's then, then Benjamin Franklin talking. Then you're going to squash the bowls. Yeah, because the I feel like the the bowl season is already cheapened, but with the playoffs, if you expand the playoffs, you just yeah. Well, look at this year. I mean, okay, 2020 asterisk year. Mm. I don't think there's a single bowl game that is P5 versus G5. I think they're all G5 versus G5, P5 versus P5. I don't think there's a single a single game out there that's going up against each other. Yeah, I'd have to look at it, but I'm pretty sure you're right. But again, it's asterisk here. Yeah, well, what can you do? <laughs> um, so... We started arguing. We started not arguing. We started discussing the playoffs, but is it actually hurting college football? The playoffs itself, it's kind of hard to because that was the that was the big thing about the BCS. Everybody was like, "Oh, we need to have a playoff. Oh, we need to have a playoff." 2004, I was right there saying the same damn thing because my Auburn Tigers were undefeated and got left out in the cold by the bunch of cheating a-holes in, in Los Angeles and the slap bellies in Norman, Oklahoma. And we got left out in the cold. So we went to the Sugar Bowl and trounced Virginia Tech and we should have had a spot in the championship game. So yeah. I was one of the guys saying, yep, we need a playoff. So we finally get a playoff, and now it's like, oh, we need a bigger playoff. It's like, well, let's 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 do this a little more. While there's while it's not gonna be perfect every year, I feel like the playoff is getting what it needs to. You're having the best teams in the in the country playing each other. Well, I've got no argument with that. Those 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 four that are in I might have an argument between Notre Dame and Texas A&M, but yeah, they, they, they've gotten it. I mean, in the six years they've done this, seven, seven, six or seven years, they've gotten yeah. it right. I mean, the, the top teams yeah. have been in there. It's just the ones in the very outside, the f- number fives, the number sixes, you know, they deserve, they deserve their chance. Hey, it's it's awfully cold when you're sitting in outside looking in. Yeah, <laughs> it's awfully cold. Um, 
my feelings on it. I, 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 you know, I listened to, I've listened, I've listened to Brando a couple times, um, this past couple of weeks and he, he makes a very good argument. Uh, the tagline that ESPN uses who's in everything's been concentrating on that. It's concentrating on that. And this year, luckily, you know, coastal Carolina had an outstanding season. Liberty had an outstanding season. Oh, and that goes back. I'm really surprised Auburn didn't go after Hugh freeze. Oh, they did. And um, and why he didn't take that? I was expecting that to be a slam dunk. Anyways, I digress once again. Um, you know, all these teams had outstanding seasons, and they got their they got their moment in the in the light. So I don't think it was a, that bad this year. But the marketing machine that is ESPN uh, is. It's like a couple of years ago, um, they used a Bullet Boys song um, for their um, oh, for their their playoff intro, and they used it uh, throughout the college football season. The marketing machine that is ESPN just bores you to death with over overuse, but it's worked for them. Some say it hasn't because they're starting to drop. They're starting to drop employees like flies. But I'm, th- you know, it, it gets me to, that there there is a little sour taste in my mouth for college football because I have to watch ESPN because the majority of the games are on ESPN. And when I say ESPN, it sounds like spin. There's a reason for that. They spin it, and it's it's natural. I don't blame them for it. But last year, Boise State and the Mountain West had a contract with ESPN, and you heard about Boise State. You heard yep. about the Mountain West. Well, this year, the Mountain West and Boise State, they go to Fox and CBS and Crickets. So the the biggest the biggest player in broadcasting for college football is ESPN. Sure. You can't get away from that, but they're going to play it the way they're going to make their money. And I can't blame them for it, but it puts that sour taste in my mouth. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. That's they're they're going to hold sway over who sees what and that's going to have a big opinion on you know who's in the the thought process and who's in the mind and what they look like while playing, even if you're not a fan of a team and they're on ESPN, you probably end up sitting there and watching the dang thing, even if it's, you know, not invested, not vested in it. You're still sitting there watching it, whether you're doing dishes or playing with kids or whatever. You're still it's still on. You're still catching pieces and glimpses of it. So you're seeing that team and you're seeing, you know, a big play or a big hit or something along those lines. So you're paying attention to it. So now when it gets to be this time of year where things start shaking out in bowls and people start vying for playoff positions and that sort of thing. You've got this team that's been on, you know, ESPN two, three, four times during the year. And you've, oh yeah, Boise State looked great. I'm going to, you know, definitely. And so that's going to hold sway. And hopefully, I hope, the 13-member committee is taking into account more than just what what is on TV. But I feel like with ESPN pushing certain teams, it's real similar to the contract that NBC has with Notre Dame. I disliked Notre Dame for a long time. Still not a big fan of them. But their contract with NBC set the precedent for the Longhorn Network, the Big Ten Network, the SEC Network, and all these specialized channels that focus on 
a conference or a team, they push and they push and they push into the conscious of the, of the viewer. And ESPN has this bias towards these big schools, and but they move the needle. So you can't really blame ESPN for wanting to gain viewership. Unfortunately, it comes at the cost of decent teams not getting their time in the sun and the public not seeing them. Absolutely. Now going back to Notre Dame, I, I dislike Notre Dame also, and there's a very specific reason for that. Um, yeah, yes, 1985. Oh, no, I love Lou Holtz. I love Lou, Lou Holtz as as an individual. Okay, okay. Let's, I got you. Let's go back off of this. 1985, Golden Gophers. I'm originally from Minnesota, so I'm originally a Golden Gopher fan. And 85, Lou Holtz goes in there one year, gets them to a bowl game. First bowl game they've been to in a very long time. Because for a long time, Minnesota was the doormat of the Big Ten. And so anyways, gets them to go to a bowl game. And there is a huge, just big time buzz in Minnesota about this. Well, between the final game and the bowl game, Lou Holtz gets offered the Notre Dame job. Now, I do not blame Lou Holtz for taking that job <laughs> at all. I would jump on it in a heartbeat. But my biggest my biggest heartache was that before before I knew how the business of college football goes, he left the team. He did not coach in the bowl game, and he went straight to Notre Dame and left the team. That soured me to Notre Dame like you would not believe, and I still hold it to this day. <laughs> uh, that's your fair assessment. <laughs> I miss I, I miss him on the on the late night ESPN um, recaps. Uh-huh. I love Jesse Palmer, but Lou Holt, I hated, I hated May. I hated May. I hated May um, just because he was that over boisterous P5 elitist yeah, well. that wouldn't give anybody any credit. Um, Jesse Palmer is a better TV personality than he, than he was a football player. Barely. <laughs> But uh, I, I enjoy listening to him. He, he's 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 not hard to listen to. Let's put it that way. Um, so I don't know how we're going to do the rest of this year. Um, I'm hardly catching any bowl games whatsoever because they started so damn quickly. Um, because the conference the conference championships games are pushed back. And it crept in on the bowl season. Um, I was able to sit down and watch uh, a little bit of the BYU UCF trouncing. And yeah, it, well. was, it was just that. Um, it was an absolute trouncing. Well. And today's games, I just glanced over and looked at the scores and haven't done much. Um, obviously, the championship game or the semifinals and championship game will have my attention. And from there, again, it's it's all G five versus G five, P five versus P five, and there's there's no meat for what I want to talk about in this podcast. Well, I I tell you this: as we wrap up this show, I will be watching some sort of college football between now and New Year's and and beyond, but. I would be remiss if I did not wish you a happy belated birthday since oh, we didn't, you, since we didn't, since we didn't get to record last week. I didn't get to say that to you, but happy birthday, Steve. Uh, I want to thank you for, for putting this little, this, this little thing that we do uh, out on the air every week. You are the editor in chief and also <laughs> a great co-host. So I thank you very much. And, 
I know that we will have at least another show or two. Oh yeah, in the back absolutely. Between between now and uh, the championship game, so we will find something to talk about. I am sure. Oh yeah, and um, thank you. When I I came up with the idea of this podcast about a year ago, because uh, while you were overseas, you did some YouTube episodes of um, some college football reviews and it triggered my mind that hey we both have the same last name but we're not related wouldn't it be cool if we sat down and did a podcast talking about college football because we both love college football and i was like yeah no i i want it to be fun i don't want it to get you know too business like i don't want it to be a second i don't want to be like a job and i thought i brought it up again this year to my and in my head and i'm like oh what the heck i'll I'll throw it out at him and you came back and i want to thank you for you know it's being an emphatic yes and you know it's been fun doing this and i'm I'm gonna have some more fun and it's just i'm I'm glad it happened I, i just hope we can get through some of these technical difficulties today's been out today's been awesome i mean we've we've had a, a really good technical technical podcast so i've got some hope there i am coming to you live from mcdonald's parking lot on my phone <laughs> <laughs> outstanding it sounds really good for a phone uh, so as we start to wrap this up, we'll we'll be back on next week. Um, we'll try and get it posted, try and get back on our regular schedule and get it posted on a regular schedule like we'd had. And so next week we'll whatever bowl games I can pick up and but you know we're gonna have Christmas in the way. And so with that said, I've got to put this out. Today's music. Today's opening music, I have to give out credit. This is it's going, it's Christmas parade sequence arranged by Paul Lavender, Pat Lavender, and Will Rapp. And it's performed by the Hal Leonard marching band. So I have to get put out there and give them credit. Um, I don't know if it's public domain, but I'm giving them credit. So there you go. There you go. And um, so with that. Thank you for the birthday wishes and you oh let me backtrack what's christmas going to be like for you guys oh we've got uh, we've got stuff to put together we've got <laughs> things to organize yeah Matter you got fact, two little ones don't you yes i do <laughs> yes i do mine's 27 so i don't have to put anything together i'm going to get but, there i'm going to yeah. get there <laughs> well we're going to have a, a, a Christmas gift just to be able to be together. And one of those life situations that popped up was my wife tested positive for COVID on a pre-procedure test. And she's been stuck in her room for the last, let's see, now it would be eight days. Her <laughs> last day, Her last day of quarantine is Christmas Day. So we're kind of going to break the rules a tiny bit and she's going to break the, she's going to break quarantine on Christmas. And so we're going to be all freedom. Yep. (laughs) But she's had zero symptoms. So, um, because of some other health issues with her, we think this was a false positive and we just count ourselves lucky. Um, I tested negative. My wife tested negative or excuse me, my daughter tested negative. So the household is good. We're just kind of in three separate bedrooms right now. Well, all right. So we're well, going to have a, we're going to have I'm a good Christmas. Good. I'm glad she's feeling good. Y'all stay safe. Merry Christmas, Steve. And we will see you next time we get on this little crazy ride that we're on. Right on. You have a good Christmas too. You guys stay safe. Um, because you're, are you Southern California or Northern? northern your bay, your bay area bay area is a little better right yep. now the southern california it's crawling right now we're gonna stay away yeah <laughs> so again ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening
um, please like, share, comment. Let us know how we're doing. And that's the only way we're going to get better at doing this. And actually, we'll talk about things that you want to hear. And with that, thank you for listening to No Relation College Football, P5 versus G5. I'm your co-host, Steve Payson. And and I'm Trey. Like, share, comment, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half-happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the happiest season of all There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows For toasting and caroling out in the snow There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories Of Christmases long, long ago It's the most wonderful time.